There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royful Brown, who is in Canada, in Burlington, with my kids. That puts me at 43.3 degrees north and 79.7 degrees west. And with me, I have my able co-partner. Co-partner? Partner, Claire Asprey. Where are you today, Claire? Is well, it-, it will not surprise you to hear that I'm at 51, 52.1 degrees north and 0.5 degrees east in Bedfordshire, where I have recorded every episode of Map Corner. Map Corner is a podcast dedicated to the love of maps and to all things cartophilic. So if Peters is your projection, you're in the right place. And this month we're joined by Ralph Velasco, who's a photographer, traveller and bon viveur, who shares his travel tips and insights as the continental drifter on YouTube. And this month we have an audio postcard from our Fiona Powell, her of the Golden Larynx. And folks, don't forget to review us on Apple iTunes because the more reviews we get, the more listeners we get. So go on to Apple iTunes, write us a review. Hopefully it'll be positive and hopefully we'll get even more listeners. Yeah, we had some really good feedback on the Facebook page this month about the episode that we did with David Martins, the chef. So we are recording as usual with listeners from the Map Corner community. And if you want to join the live Zoom recordings Just join the Facebook group to get personally invited every time. Now, we record the first Saturday of every month at 6pm UK time, which is 1pm Eastern, which is 10am Pacific. But in August, we're recording an extra episode. So our next recording will actually be Saturday the 21st of August. So make a note in your diaries. Okay, and we're going to start with our conversation with Ralph Velasco. So Ralph is the Continental Drifter on YouTube and has a really interesting backstory, loves to travel and has a lot of top tips to share. So welcome, Ralph. And do you want to tell us about how you got started with 
getting the travel bug and then, you know, working in taking people and seeing the world. Sure. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for having me. This is great. I am originally from Chicago and started traveling quite a bit when I was fairly young in high school, studied in Spain for a summer. The next year, I was a volunteer in Peru. The following year, I was a volunteer in Venezuela. And then the following summer, I studied in Mexico City. So I got the travel bug very early on and always was looking for a way to make a living from travel. But back then, this is the early to mid 80s. It, you know, we didn't have the internet, social media, practically didn't have airplane travel. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, so uh, it was a, a very different environment back then as far as, you know, creating a following. And, and you know, so it was a lot of very, you know, to be a professional photographer meant being a National Geographic photographer or, you know, some big magazine. And I always aspired to that, but kind of gave up on that dream, to be honest, and just followed kind of a more of a standard route and did a lot of different things. I was sold real estate. I've owned several restaurants. I was a marketing director for a division of a Fortune 500 company. I was a financial advisor. And so when the digital... Wait a minute, Ralph, is it fairly safe to say you've been a bit of a drifter then before? I've been... Yeah, that's kind of, I know where the name came from, <laughs> drifting. That's right. And so I just, you know, when the digital photography came around and I would say in the early 2000s and sort of the internet was coming on strong, I, I saw an opportunity to maybe teach people how to use these new digital devices, their, their digital cameras that I was learning myself. And so I thought maybe I could do some, some walking tours and teach people how to use these new digital devices that they were purchasing. And this is 2001 and two, maybe. So kind of the dawn of digital photography. And uh, you know, I knew that the, the opportunity probably wasn't going to be in actually selling images because, you know, the bottom had kind of fallen out of that the stock photo market. And uh, so I decided that I would do some just walking tours in the local area. And this, I was living in Chicago at the time, even just sitting across the kitchen table from someone and going over their camera from top to toe and showing them how to use it. So got a lot of interest in that. But at the same time, I was a financial advisor. And so now fast forward about 2005 to 2008, I was back in Southern California. I'd lived there for a total of 15 years, but I'm back in Chicago now as location independent, really. I don't really have a home. But to make a long story longer, I was a financial advisor there and also starting my photography tour business and teaching people. And I love to teach. And, and I love to teach photography. So I started teaching at the local city of Newport Beach, the Santa Ana College, and a lot of kind of adult education. And I really enjoyed that. I love to teach. And it kind of grew. And then in 2008, September of 2008, we probably all know what happened there. We had the financial crisis. Not a great time to be a financial advisor, which I was at the time, and barely scraping by. But, you know, that was the kick in the pants that I needed to get out of that and to do this full time. And so I say it only took me 45 years to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. But most people never do. 
And uh, how do you decide on the locations for your tours? Because you go into all different sort of continents and, and places, but places that are like not always the most obvious, which is quite interesting. Yeah, well, I wanted to do something a little different and be a little bit off the beaten path. So I, I kind of the first criteria is it has to be a place that interests me because it's going to be hard for me to sell the trip to someone else if I'm really not interested in the place. And so I tend to create trips to places that I want to travel to, that I want to see, that I'm interested in. And then I go there and I scout and I check it out for a couple of weeks usually. And then the following year, I will bring a group back and hopefully do that for many years to come. So it just depends on the itinerary. So when you're scouting, is that when the maps come in? Yeah, a lot of map usage that, that that's time for sure. If if you can see behind me, I've got a map here on the wall. It's actually a newer map. I From a, a very young age, I used to keep track of all the places that I traveled to with a pin on a map, like you know a lot of people do. And unfortunately, that original map was dry mounted and it started to warp and there was probably six or seven moves in there. And so the thing got trashed, but I tried to recreate it with this framed map behind me. But uh, yeah, I, I just have always loved looking at maps, studying them, figuring out, you know, how to get from one place to the next. I, I miss physical maps. I don't use a lot of physical maps anymore, you know, because we've got these phones in our Ralph, pocket. Let, let me jump in, mate. You're in the right place. Right. Nick Roworth would hate Google Maps. Hate, don't you, Nick? You, you love a physical map. You love a bit of paper. You like get your hands on it and you're in the right place for that Ralph but don't let me ruin your story sir you you, you continue <laughs> on but you're in good hands here Trust oh good <laughs> yeah so I mean I don't use a lot of physical maps anymore I, I just because I travel so much I'm on the road eight or nine months out of the year leading these tours and scouting so I really don't have a home I'm what's come to be called location independent so just nice way of saying homeless but in a good way and so I pretty much live on the road. And so I, I try to minimize weight and space and things like that. So you know, it's really convenient to have these phones in our pocket that we can just use a Google map. And it's pretty simple to do. And so I hope you won't kick me off the show, but I'll have to say I don't use a lot of physical maps these days. But do you get to see in the places where you're visiting? One of the things I always do when I go somewhere, first thing I do in any location or on any holiday is go somewhere and pick up a map because that's just, you know, me. And, and what I love about that is to see what the local tourist people think is worth telling you about and you know and sometimes that's not always what you'd expect so I don't know if you've got any examples of really like unusual things that you've been advised to see locally like how does it compare to what you feel is genuinely interesting well I I don't know that it exactly has to do with maps but you know when I do these scouting trips I'm in touch with local tour operators and tourist boards and the locations that I'm going to and I initially, when I started out, it would, you know, just kind of introduce myself, say I organize and lead tours. I'm looking to come to your country and put together an itinerary. And I kind of, you know, gave them a little bit more information than that. But I found that when I would get to the place, they would want to show me everything. And 
I needed to pare that down. I needed to pull back on that because there just wasn't enough time to see everything. I knew what my groups were interested in, not necessarily monuments and museums, but you know, how can we meet the local artisans and the people and maybe have you know a cup of tea in someone's home and those kinds of real cultural experiences. So, you know, along that lines, it's interesting what the the tourist board thinks are the the most interesting places to see and what, you know, we all have our own opinions of that. Absolutely. And I guess for you as well, it's about things that are interesting to photograph. And like you say, that that daily life of real people is a really interesting thing to come home with photos of compared to a statue or a museum, which is fine but it, it's it's something that's really distinctive isn't it absolutely and uh, you know everyone's getting those postcard shots of the monuments and the the landscapes and the the the, the really the the very popular statues and things like that but it's the people that make the difference that are unique and that I love to get in and meet them, learn what it is that they're making, whether it's particular instruments to the place, you know, maybe it's flamenco guitars in Spain, or it's a particular type of cheese, you know, in some other location. And also the food. So I'm really big on the food. I Yeah, I like look, that. I'm, yeah, I grew up in the restaurant industry and I had a couple of restaurants of my own. I eat three meals a day. And so I, you know, I think the next to the people, food is about the most distinctive thing that you can find in a place too. Yeah, gotcha. absolutely. So, so I'm imagining that COVID's put, uh, as we'd say in Britain, the kibosh is kind of really, you know, harmed your, your travel plans in the last like 18 months. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, have been a hundred percent affected by the, the, you know, the travel ban. And like I said, I'm, I'm location independent. So I live on the road. Thank goodness. I have family to stay with in between trips and have been during this, this whole period. Although I have had a couple chances. I was in Turkey for a couple months last October and I just ran my first group trips, which happened to be to Costa Rica back to back in a couple of weeks ago in early July, about a month ago, and went to Nicaragua. So I've gotten around a little bit, but as far as you know, actually making a living, it's it had been a year and a half before I'd had any group trips, which is pretty much how I make my living. So it was a it was a big, big problem. I am also uh, I'm a solopreneur, you know, solo entrepreneur. So I, I work pretty much by myself and I uh, don't have employees. I don't have physical office space. So I didn't have a lot of overhead. So I was able to kind of weather the storm and wait it out. You weren't tempted to go back to financial advising. Oh God, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But to me, I, I, I was the you know most surprised at how well the market did over the last year and a half or so. And, Thank goodness for that for a lot of people. Mm. Uh, so, you know, an obvious question, which I won't ask you, is like, where would be, you know, your, your, the best place you, you, you've, you've ever been to and stuff? So I won't ask you that most obvious question. But what I will ask you is, tell us about the people that come on your tours. How do you define them? What type of people are they? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, when I started out, as you do with almost any business, 
you know, you'll take any business that someone will throw your way. So you want to be everything to everyone. And I learned very quickly that that doesn't work in my business. It's a very sort of customized, unique business. The people are coming on my trips in large part because of me, uh, because of my style of travel, because of the types of trips I'm putting together. So initially, I started out thinking that they would be photo workshops. I learned very quickly that workshops, you know, work is a four-letter word. We're there to have fun. You know, they're great for some people that are interested in doing photography 24-7 for, you know, two weeks at a time. But I was more interested in providing some sort of a hybrid where I don't even call them photo tours anymore, really, but uh, more cultural tours with a focus on photography. So photography is a part of our trips. So I get people that aren't even interested in photography necessarily, or a couple that one's interested, the other one not necessarily, and everyone has a great time. There's something for everyone. About a half day scheduled, half day free time. So it can go pursue the other person's interests or go put into practice what they've learned with regards to photography or not feel like they have to be with the group all the time. So people started to filter themselves out as the clearer I came with my vision of what these trips were. And I realized that it wasn't about, you know, that the worst thing you could do is not set expectations for people not tell them what they're in for. And then they come on the trip and it's not what they expected. They wanted more photography or they didn't want photography at all. And that's not good for them. It makes me look bad. They don't have the experience that they want. So I try to become more and more clear with that vision and letting people know exactly what they're in for. Now, if my trips aren't what you're into, then you're going to filter yourself out. But if you are into what I do, you're going to love it. Yeah. And, and the YouTube channel is a really good way of doing that, presumably, because, you know, you can get to see what what the trips are like and, you know, what that, that mixture of culture and a bit of photography and uh, interest in different places. Right. And everyone's some sort of a photographer. You know, we've all got these devices in our pockets. And, you know, I think that this sort of experiential travel where people want to learn something on a trip, whether it's a language how to cook, how to photograph or paint, whatever it is. People are, you know, they can do those beach vacations by themselves. They don't need me to guide them to a beach. But, you know, those ones where, man, I want to meet, you know, really interesting people just doing what they do. And maybe I'll have my camera with me. It might be my iPhone, whatever. Maybe I just stand by the side and just enjoy it because, I mean, who doesn't love to be in the right place at the right time with great light, a very few tourists, you know, it's cooler because I like to get out early and I don't mean, you know, every sunrise for sure, but you know, seven, seven thirty in the morning, the town or the place is waking up a little bit. The kids are on their way to school in their uniforms. People are on their way to work and you know, there's less, crime because there's no tourists out and that's when the you know the the pickpockets you know come out and pray so uh, it's all worked out really well and i've been doing this now for about 13 or 14 years full time and it created a pretty nice following and about 45 percent repeat rate on my trips so you know 4.5 out of 10 people on my trips have traveled with me before wow 
they're they're obviously good that recommendation there in, in the repeat business so you travel the world and you obviously like people but this must be somewhat at variance with your own kind of personal relationships because you're never at home you're never at any one place yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And, you know, it's it's a dream job for a lot of people. And it was for me, and it still is. But you know, I've been doing it now, like I said, for 13, 14 years full time. And as you can imagine, being on the road eight or nine months out of the year, packing and unpacking every two to four nights, you know, lugging a you know piece of luggage around the world literally four or five times a year, and uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. I mean, that that part of it gets old. You know, I say I love to travel. I just hate getting there and back. You know, <laughs> I love to be in these places, but it's getting there and back that's a, a real pain sometimes. Yeah, and, you, but, and that's one of the things about your videos that you're doing all these like very short travel tips that that are clearly born from experience. <laughs> Yeah, I figure if, you know, if I make these mistakes, if I can help other people not to make them or to minimize them, you know, that that's providing value. And I and I love to do that. So let me make the mistakes and hopefully you can learn from them and not make them yourself. And on that note, what we should do is take a quick break and do our audio postcard. And seasoned listeners of this podcast will know that whoever wins the quiz the month previous has the honor of uh, doing the audio postcard. It's a great way of us just foisting the job on, onto somebody else. So it's well done us, Claire and I, for, for thinking of this ruse back last year. But so Fiona, who is somewhat of a, a staple Zoom listener, watcher, sorry, and listener to the podcast, did this audio po postcard about her new adopted home. Here is Fiona's audio postcard. I'd like to introduce you to the Susquehanna River Valley of my adopted home in Pennsylvania. The Susquehanna River, originally the home of the Susquehannock tribes, is the longest non-navigable river in the U.S. It rises in two places, the North Branch in New York State, the West Branch in the Allegheny Mountains. The branches join in Northumberland to form one river that flows past Harrisburg and into the Chesapeake Bay. I can't talk about this part of the world without at least mentioning Scranton, birthplace of President Joe Biden, as well as the ancestral home of Hillary Rodham Clinton and the birthplace of the modern labor movement in the US. But Scranton misses being on the Susquehanna River by a few miles and, frankly, deserves five minutes of its own. So I'll just have to try and be lucky on another quiz. So we're sticking to the River Valley towns, and I'll begin at the place where the two branches meet in Northumberland to acknowledge the father of chemistry who made this place his home. Yorkshire-born Joseph Priestley, one of the founders of the Unitarian Church in England, discoverer of oxygen, which he called dephlogisticated air, and a famous dissenter, was living in Birmingham in 1791, when during the riots, his house and laboratory were destroyed and his effigy burned in the streets. Frightened for his life, he took up the invitation sent to him by his friend, Benjamin Franklin, to come to America to live. He built a home and laboratory in Northumberland, where I'm happy to say he still caused trouble. He wrote pamphlets, founded the Unitarian Church in the US, and continued with his discoveries, one being how to carbonate liquids. 
So, if you enjoy your Coca-Cola, you can thank Joseph Priestley. A few miles from Priestley's house is Lewisburg, home of Bucknell University, alma mater of Philip Roth, and of the hymn writer Robert Lowry, who wrote Shall We Gather at the River. On the grounds of Bucknell stands a carriage house that was one of the main stops on the Underground Railroad. This was one of many local places that provided safe haven for escaped slaves. Here they were taken in to rest and hide until they were escorted out to the next stop, which was often upriver to men like Daniel Hughes in Williamsport. From Williamsport, north through New York State to Canada. Some of the slaves chose to stay in Williamsport, and an area they named Freedom Road commemorates these men and women, as well as African Americans who gave their lives during the Civil War. Williamsport was the home of the first female African American fiction writer, Julia Collins. Williamsport is also famous for Little League Baseball. Now, I love Little League because it really is international. It really is inclusive. From girls now being able to play to the challenger game for kids with physical and intellectual challenges. For two weeks, kids from all over the world make Williamsport their home and they're treated like stars. Also in Williamsport lived John Henry Hopkins, who wrote We Three Kings of Orient Are. But it's to the iron town of Danville we must go to visit the home of the man who in the 19th and early 20th century was considered the greatest composer ever born in Wales, Joseph Parry. Parry emigrated to Danville at the age of 10 and wrote, amongst many other things, Mervanui, Aberystwyth, the tune for Jesu Lover of My Soul, and the first Welsh opera, Lodwyn. Another Welshman who moved to Danville as a child was Griffith J. Griffith. He left Danville as a young man to make his fortune out west. Griffith donated land to the city of Los Angeles and created Griffith Park and the Griffith Observatory. Oh, and the typewriter and QWERTY keyboard were invented just outside Danville by Christopher Scholes. These are just some of the great people who have made this quiet part of Pennsylvania notable. I mean, I could go on to talk of tomatoes and Chef Boyardee, and, but I haven't time to do more, but raise a carbonated drink to the deflagisticated air that I breathe and to the extraordinary people of the Susquehanna River Valley. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fantastic. Thank you, Fiona. Absolutely was. And really well done. Utterly well done. So thank you for that, Fiona. That was, that was most awesome. Brilliant. I don't think there's anything else to, to know about Pennsylvania now. And everything that's good from Pennsylvania came from Wales. But that's what I got from that, Fiona. <laughs> I thought you'd be wanting to say more about your brummy friend, Joseph. Well, but I th- she put that in because he was drummed out of Birmingham. <laughs> Drum, drummed out of my hometown for being a, a little bit of a genius. So, so yes, w- well done for the, for the little subtle dig there fiona but it was utterly not not my fault not my fault <laughs> well you didn't have to include it though did you you're making us all i sound did like a bun- because bunch that's of why he yokels. came to pennsylvania that's why he came to pennsylvania sorry mate <laughs> you could have just said his good friend benjamin franklin invited him and he came <laughs> but anyway right uh, ralph ralph have you ever been to pennsylvania the great state of pennsylvania I have. I've been to the Pittsburgh area, but not this area that uh, Fiona was talking about. It looks just gorgeous. Oh, it, it, yeah. It, it plenty of photos does. to be taken there. Ah, For ah, sure. Absolutely, oh, beautiful absolutely. place. Absolutely. Do, do, do come to the Susquehanna Valley. I'd be happy to welcome you. And there are lots of photo opportunities and canoeing opportunities and stuff like that and history opportunities. Look beautiful. That was really well done. So, so, Ralph, I'm guessing that most of your tours, if not all of your tours, are outside of the U.S. Yeah, that's right. I actually did a couple. I mean, I, I started here, as I mentioned. I started my business in Southern California where you know, I must have had 20, 25 different tours from two to two hours to a long weekend. But I used to start bringing groups back to Chicago as a way to get a free trip back to my hometown when I was living in Southern California. And then, but then over time and not too long, I started doing only international trips. And so right now I, I over with COVID, I did have a trip to Milwaukee and to Chicago, which I've done 12 or 14 times. So it was very popular and people were asking me to bring it back, but I was never around to do it. So it was a, actually good timing to do that. And is there anywhere that's on your kind of dream list of where you'd like to go next? You know, Colombia is a place that I'd really like to get to. I want to explore Japan more. I've only been to Tokyo for four or five days. Japan's really high on that list. There's, I, I want to get back to Greece. I haven't been to Greece in a long, long time. And so really looking forward to doing that potentially this October. Ralph, you don't go there at the moment, mate. Unless you've got a bucket of water with you, I'd stay well clear of Greece right now. Why is that? It's burning down. It's on fire. It's on fire. And Turkey, to be fair. (laughs) Well, come on, guys. I can't imagine the whole country is burning down. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I would imagine that's more in the mainland, right? But I I hadn't heard too much about that. Yeah, it's a terrible situation. Well, we, this 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 is the the part of the show, Ralph, where the the good 
the good listeners or the good viewers on Zoom get, get to ask a question, which if you're listening to the podcast, and there's a couple of thousand of you do download it every month, this is the reason why you should sign up to our Facebook group because then you get the links for how to get onto Zoom. So Sergio, who is our correspondent over there in, in South America, was going to ask you if you'd ever been to Colombia or if you wanted to go. And you actually said that you do want to go. But Sergio, why, why, don't, you, why don't you big up Colombia and tell him where he should actually do a tour? Well, there are a lot of places, but I'd recommend the, the department or state of Boyacá or the coffee states, like it's called the Eje Cafetero. They are like the best places in the country. Great. Yeah, I've, I've heard nothing but great things about Colombia and so I've been talking to a couple of tour operators down there. So who knows, maybe in the next year or two, I will have, have a group down there. So, so how big can your groups actually get? Do you have like an optimum size or how does that work? Yeah, I try to keep it to anywhere from four to 10 people. Some of my trips are priced so that I can make them go with just four people. Others need six and maybe up to 10, 11 at the most. So that allows us to get into, you know, use smaller vehicles, get into smaller restaurants, stay at more boutique type hotels, where oftentimes we're the only guests at the hotel, which I really like when, you know, we're in a seven or eight room hotel that we take over the whole thing. And so the, it just allows us to be more mobile and uh, to get in and out of smaller places that are, to me, more local type places. Oh, right. So, so t tell us about that first trip, you know, when you were, you know, uh, still getting your water wings, so, so to speak. What have you learned from that first, what not to do when maybe you did in that first trip when you had your, your first paying customers? Yeah, my first international trip was to the Central European Christmas markets. And that was uh, really fun because I, I love to be in Europe in winter. And that trip, we were actually a part of a bigger group. It was a way for me to kind of test the waters for this idea. You know, they organized all the hotels and transportation and everything, and I just needed to get the people to come with. So it was a way to dip my toes into this whole idea of leading tours. And I did that one other time with them on a Danube River cruise. But then from then on, I learned very quickly that I wanted to be in control of everything. <laughs> and uh, by that, I mean, mostly the timing, you know, when you're with a group, you know, bigger group, you know, you don't have any talk say about, you know, what time the bus leaves or, you know, when people come back or what you're doing or anything. So you're just, you know, kind of follow along. And it, it was a really fun trip, but uh, I realized very quickly that, you know, I wanted to determine when we were going to leave and, you know, get better lights or beat crowds and, you know, meet certain types of people at certain times of day. So that, that was really important to me. Gotcha. Now, what, what we should do, folks, is do our quiz, because I know that Ken McDonald, Nick Rowworth in particular, will be coming to blows if we don't do this uh, in good time, because the pair of them are quite competitive about this. So I just um, say that... As usual, the quiz is in honor of our guest. And if you've been watching Ralph's videos on YouTube, then your chances of doing well in the quiz will be increased. But I have tried 
to make it more of one that might have some general knowledge in and or educated guesses, because I get told off for making it too difficult. So I've done my best and let's see how we go. And Ralph, well, I expect you to get like nine, I think it's nine in this quiz or 10. Yeah, I'm hoping that I can nine get out of nine. Right. Well, 100% <laughs> results from Ralph here. Okay. I, I like to think, Ralph, that I'm a little bit of a generalist. And I, if I don't actually know, I can do educated guesses. I can honestly say literally every question here, I was like, what, who, what? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, uh, but watch out for, for the people here who are on Zoom because they're, they're much smarter than me. Question number one, which of these tour locations has the largest population? Is it A, Tbilisi in Georgia, B, Dubrovnik, where I've been to in Croatia, or C, Kass in Turkey? Which of these tour locations has the largest population? Is it A, Tbilisi, capital of Georgia, B, Dubrovnik, sat there on the Adriatic in Croatia, or Kass in Turkey? Question number two. Which of these tour locations has the highest maximum elevation? Is it A, Chicago, B, Rio de Janeiro, is it C, Ghani in Armenia? So which of these tour locations has the highest maximum elevation? A, Chicago, B, Rio in Brazil, or C, Ghani in Armenia? I think I know the answer to that as an educated guess. Question number three, which of these tour locations has the highest average summer temperature? A, Rio in Brazil, B, Batambang in Cambodia, or C, Chicago in the USA? Which of these tour locations has the highest average summer temperature? Is it Rio, is it Batambang, or is it Chicago in the US? Question number four, bread. What's special about lavish bread in Armenia? A, it's left to prove overnight. B, it's cooked against the inside walls of an oven. Or C, it's cooked under hot stones. So lavish bread is from Armenia. What is so special about it? Is it that it's less left to prove overnight? B, it's cooked against the inside walls of an oven. Or C, it's cooked under hot stones. More about bread. What's special about, how am I pronouncing that? I'm going to go Tafanot. Is that, that good? Sounds good. Yeah, right. Tafanot. Yeah. Tafanot bread from Morocco. Is it that it can contain saffron? B, it's cooked directly on burning logs. Or, or C, you need to pick stones out of it before eating. Wow. <laughs> right. What's so special about tafanut bread from Morocco? It contains saffron. It's cooked directly on burning logs, or you need to pick stones out of it before eating. More bread questions. Uh, I love a bread question. <laughs> what is special about the bread in the Viscri bakery in Romania? It's deliberately burnt. Each loaf is no bigger than a fist or it's baked in an underground oven. What is special about the Viscri or Viscri bakery in Romania? Is the bread deliberately burnt? Each loaf is no bigger than a fist or C, it's baked in an underground oven. We're moving away from bread now, folks. You'll be happy to know, right? <laughs> 
Which what's the name of the special railway line that connects the countryside around Battambang, Cambodia? Is it the bamboo train, the French train, or the Nori train? What is the name of the special railway line that connects the countryside around Battambang in Cambodia? Is it the bamboo train? Is it the French train? Or is it the Nori train? Did I say line before? Anyway, whatever. Question number eight. Which river forms part of the Sweden-Finland border in Lapland? Is it the... Oyu? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Oulu? That's what I would have thought. Oulu River. Is it the Torn River or is it the Kalajoki River? So is it the Oulu River that separates Finland and Sweden or is it the Torn River or is it the Kalajoki River? I have utterly no idea and I thought I knew geography. Last question. These have been fiendish this month. Costa Rica with Nort Point, not 3% of the world's landmass, is home to what proportion of all species? Is it A, 3%, B, 5%, or C, 7%? Costa Rica, with not point not three percent of the world's land mass is home to what proportion of the world species is it three percent five percent or seven in any case it's be it's punching above its weight in terms of you know absolutely biodiversity yeah big up costa rica is all i can say those claire are some pretty fiendish questions i have confidence in our map corner listeners well, we, we all will be revealed at, at the end of the show. Now, Claire, do we have some other business we can be talking about right now? Yeah, let's give you an update on some of the social media from this week, or this month. So on the Twitter, a couple of maps about the Mediterranean, which were shared, one by myself and one by Magic and Mungos. And the, the one I liked was the, the language zones of the Byzantine Empire, which really sort of showed the way that, you know, humanity congregated around the the Mediterranean and the one from Magic Among Us had sort of Gibraltar at the top so it was a completely different way of looking at you know basically sort of laying it on its side which was, which was quite fun but from Twitter I really wanted to share this sort of good news story of sorts I suppose that we spotted and what was tagged with the map corner hashtag so I saw a tweet from someone whose, hash, whose handle was at mattress tagging whatever that means she'd acquired a big batch of old pull-down maps from like classroom maps from the 1930s and she'd been using them as roller blinds now first of all I'm so jealous that sounds so cool anyone who's got old pull-down maps that I can repurpose as roller blinds please make yourself known to me um but some of the maps, because of their date from the 1930s, some of the maps were not kind of uncomfortable in terms of the content, especially a couple that were looking at the colonisation of Africa. And she was looking for a kind of new home for these that would be appropriate. And she put it out on Twitter with some pictures of, uh, of those maps. And actually there were loads of offers and it's eventually, it's gone to the Four Keeps Books reading room in Alberta, in Atlanta, Georgia, where they have a real focus on black literature and history and a reading room where people can stop and look at these maps and, and, and put them in context. So I thought that was a really nice sort of good news out of bad news, if you like, story that we, we saw on Twitter this, this month. We've got the map corner hashtag. So do take a look at that one. 
Over on our Facebook group, our most commented map was one from Luke Baxter, which uh, he posted a map that was, it was like a map of Europe with like all the, well, a lot of the borders in the wrong place and the names were wrong and like and clearly there's nothing like a poorly labeled map to arouse the ire of the map corner listener because everyone piled in with comments on that one i think they all share a very much a dislike of a a poor quality map and another interesting one was from karen cunningham which looked at uk land use and you know how much space well, what a lot of space we give over to beef and lamb production. That's the main thing I would take from that. And it helps have that perennial conversation. Do we have more land used as golf courses than we have for housing? It's one of my favourite themes, as you know, so I won't go into that. And of course, we've had quite the sporting month or so. So quite a number of sport-related things. The maps around the European Championships of the football and a couple of posts around the Olympics. One from Brett about the opening ceremony and all the flags. And one from Ken around the samurai characters that were made out of kind of flags and symbols from countries, which was just beautiful. I really urge people to take a look at that. It was fantastic. And also competitive, but not maybe sporting as such, was the video that Royfield posted around who had the biggest GDP for over about 120 years, showing the kind of rise and fall of economic might, which was, you know, was the, the music is particularly compelling. It makes it feel like some sort of, you know, action movie or something. So that was that was an interesting one. So yeah, all that to be found on our Facebook group, Map Corner. Find us and join the group on Facebook. And if you've got something interesting, post there or to hashtag Map Corner on Twitter. Mm. I, I must admit that that video that, that I posted, which I'd forgotten that I even posted it until you actually said, I watched that about five times. It's utterly compelling. Right, because it is, it's fundamentally a race, isn't it? You know, and, and as you said, kind of certain countries kind of rise and fall, you know, and it's told over this 120 year period. The United States is, is always ahead, but who is second, third, fourth, fifth? That's up for argument and stuff. So in mean, Britain rises and falls, and you get interesting countries like Argentina after the Second World War. Argentina becomes one of the biggest economies in the world and it falls away. And, and even India is there and then falls away. And, and the German reunification as well. Yes. So like you see this moment where you know, you've got West Germany and you've got Germany and it all dashes up and down. So you, you see, you know, historical events in the context of this as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like Britain and France are always in some kind of death match. You know, <laughs> it's like the French are never too far beyond. Then they go beat us. Anyway, lots of fun. And, and I cannot remember the name of that YouTube channel where that is. But if you go back onto the Facebook page and have a look, They've got so many of these things and they're utterly compelling. And you just, just get your popcorn, sit down and watch, you know, the rise and fall of nations told in, in graphic form. It is utterly I kind of want a slow motion version, actually, coming with a sports theme because it goes so yeah, quickly. That's called real life, the slow motion <laughs> version. Right, shall, well, what, what should we do now, Claire? Because I'm more at a loss, I'm not looking at the script. Well, I think it's time to do the quiz answers. Right, smashing. All right, we'll, we'll do that then, shall we? So we will go to our guest of honour, who will of course know all of these answers. Uh, so, number one, sir, which of these tall locations has the has the largest population? Is it A, Tbilisi, B, Dubrovnik, C, Katyn, Turkey? I'm gonna guess Tbilisi because it's a capital city. P educated guess. The answer is? I would say Tbilisi too. <laughs> yeah, you're right, it's Tbilisi. And by some margin, to be fair, it's not a big capital city. It's only got just over a million people, but it's, very significant. No, it's more than twice the size of Dubrovnik, and Kaz is teeny tiny. 
Less than 8,000. I was going to say, I, I've been to Dubrovnik and, and that, that's not a big place. Right, so I, I've got one question right. Great, well done me. Which of these tour locations has the highest maximum elevation? Now, educated guest time here, right? Chicago is right by a lake, right? Rio is right by the sea, but is very, but there are mountains circling Rio. Ghani in Armenia, I do not know. My guess would be Rio. Ralph, the answer is? I, I'm going back and forth between Rio and Ghani, but perhaps Ghani. Oh yes, Armenia is very mountainous. Yeah. I mean, okay, that's where I don't, I don't know. Arafat. Okay, so I'm okay, going to so go answer. Armenia. The answer is Ghani in Armenia, but not by massive. So the highest point in Brazil, in Rio, is 1,020 metres, and Ghani is at 1,400. So, you know, it's it's higher, but you're right. Brazil, its lowest point is zero metres from sea level, but its highest point is over 1,000 metres from sea level. So it, it does both in the space of a short time, but Ghani is higher again. Well, I'm and I believe Chicago is 500 feet above sea level, believe it or not. Yeah. Huh. 182 meters, this is. So that's okay. something like that. About that. Okay. Right. Question number three. Which of these tour locations has the highest average summer temperature? Rio, Batambang, or Chicago? This could be one of them trick ones because it gets blooming hot in the American Midwest. I'm going to go Cambodia, though, as a guess. I would oh. say Batambang. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But they all have average summer temperatures over 30 degrees, but Battenban tops out at 36. Ooh, all right, I'm not doing too bad here for educated guesses. You see, you complain, but you've got making your educated uh, guesses. Okay, all right. What's so special when it comes to cooking? I'm all at sea, though. What's so special about lavish bread, which is from Armenia? I've utterly no idea. Ralph, the answer is... It's cooked on against the inside walls of an oven called a, it's a tonier or a tona. Yeah, it's very similar to the tandoor that you see in India. Okay. Yeah, it's a really great, great bread. Lavash. Thank you, sir. More bread because Claire <laughs> likes to eat. But then again, you said you, you did too. You said you like you have three square meals a day, so you like your food too. Right. Yeah, these so, are all from my videos about, I've done quite a few videos about bread specifically. <laughs> all right. So what is so special about Tarafa not bread in Morocco? And the answer is, I've utterly no idea. Want me to tell you? Yeah, go on, You need to pick stones out of it before eating. They actually oh, wow. take the raw dough and they put it on top of a bunch of small stones and pebbles and it cooks. And then when it's finished, they pull it out and you actually have to pick off all the little stones and everything. So you want to be real careful when you bite into it. Have you been to Morocco, Claire? Yeah, yeah, a few times, but mainly mainly around Rabat because that's where my family or, or in-laws were based. So have you eaten this bread? I haven't, no, but I have I mainly the, the main kind of regular Moroccan bread, which is kind of in a circle yeah. with kind of quarters. And mm -hmm. yeah, we had that by the by the pile every day, fresh. Yeah, I've been yeah this Morocco. is a Berber, a Berber specialty. Well, yeah. because I've been to Marrakesh, which is kind of Berber country, and I have not have, did not come by this bread 
either. So next time I get to Marrakesh, I'm going to, I'm going to go, go seek it out. Sure. I suppose that was one of those answers. It was so ridiculous. It had to have been that. I don't Do think it. I could have made it up. <laughs> <laughs> More bread. What is special about the bread in the Viscri or Viscri, a bakery in Romania? Ralph, the answer is? Let's see. Yes, it's deliberately burned. So they burn it to a crisp. It's a huge, I want to say three kilo piece of dough and they burn the heck out of it. And then they actually beat it with a stick to get all the burnt crisp outer layer off of it. And then they grind off anything else that's left. And that's what they sell. It's really interesting. So do we know why they did that? Because it feels like it just sort of wastes quite a lot of dough in burning this massive great crust and then sort of sanding it off. Yeah, I, I think it just adds a particular flavor to it. It's it's very unique. I've never seen anything like it. We called they we came to call it bread beating because they literally take these like billy clubs and just beat the hell out of the <laughs> loaves of bread until all the thick crust comes off of it. I can't help but think the person who invented that just got it wrong and then styled it out in a very big way. <laughs> That's right. <yeah. laughs> I think you're right there, Asprey. What is the name of the special railway line which connects the countryside around Batambang in Cambodia? And the answer is it used to be a French colony, so I'm just going to go guessing for the French train. That's, that's, that's my guess. Actually, it's the bamboo train but the individual carts themselves are called noris, but it has just come to be called the bamboo train. Nice one. Number eight, which river forms part of the Sweden-Finland border in Lapland? And the answer, Mr. Ralph, is? The Torna River, T-O-R-N-E. That's, mm -hmm. yep. It's not one of Europe's biggest rivers is it no it's fairly small actually but i do a trip up to a finnish and swedish lapland and so we we definitely cross the river it's funny because you know we might stay in finland but then we go to sweden to do something and the time changes just right across the river wow. <laughs> at least at certain times of year i don't know if it changes throughout the year but uh, that was always interesting, trying to trying to gather the troops and, you know, say, well, it's a, we're going to meet at eight o'clock and, you know, people are an hour off. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question, Costa Rica has 0.03% of the world's landmass, but is home to what proportion of all of its species? Do you want to take you a guess, Warfield? You're asking me to, to guess? Yeah, take a guess. All right. 3% sounds like, what's that? That's 100% on from landmass to, and is, there's a certain synchronicity there, right? So it's, I'm gonna go, it's either three or 5%. My gut is telling me 3%, my head is saying 5%. I'm gonna go 3%. Ralph? I believe it's five, isn't it? You're right, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so close. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty incredible statistic for sure. Mm, absolutely.
Nat, Nat Geo calls it the most biologically intense place on earth, at least the Osa Peninsula of Costa Rica, which is a even smaller percentage of the country itself. Now, good people, we need you to not hide your genius here. Who got all nine of those questions right? And you, your name cannot be Ralph to answer this. Right. <laughs> so if your name is not Ralph and you've got... Although he's the most right. qualified to do us an audio postcard, to be honest. The man's going all Very over true. the place. Very true. All right. Who got one wrong? Unmute yourself. Two wrong. These, this is how hard these were this week. Well, I, I can't help but feel like you're doing this like the wrong way around, like by asking how many they got wrong. Like that's kind of focusing on the negative there. Probably. Maybe they got them all right. right? <laughs> you know, that is, that is true. You didn't even true. ask. I didn't ask. Them, right? I did it. Okay. And let me start again. <laughs> Who got all of the questions correct? <laughs> no surprise. Okay, and no, nobody got me... them all correct. All right. Who got, we've done to six correct. Let's be popping in doing this positively. Wow. Gosh, I thought Me. five I correct. Six. I had six. Whoa, hey, Sergio. Nicely <laughs> done. Which ones did you get incorrect, Sergio? The fourth, the fifth, and the ninth. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So you 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 were stumped about the biodiversity of, of Costa Rica too. You're in good company there, Matt, then Royalfield. Yes. Though you know, sh should have should have gone with my head, not my gut. I would have got it right. Well done, Sergio. But you did you did do an audio postcard last month, which is rather good about Bogota. Yeah. <laughs> so, of the Bogota tourist board, have they been knocking on your door saying they need they need more work from you? Well, I haven't checked. <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, I, I suppose you know a, a lot of these a, a lot of these audio postcards end up being a homage to to one specific page. So if you had Sarah Spilsby doing Smethic, right? Which uh, Sarah, I think you will you you won't knock me when I say Smethic isn't exactly known as a tourist destination or someone which is particularly beautiful on the eyes, is it? It's not famed for it, no. It's not famed for it. But you did a <laughs> blooming good job of selling it. You know, a bit Thank of Malcolm you. X. Very much so. You know, the political history. I'm I'm guessing, Sergio, though, that Bogota get, gets a lot of tourists and stuff. Yeah, especially in the downtown, the historic center. Mm -hmm. A lot of international tourists. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so I don't know. Well, what we're going to have to do, Claire, I know I've been promising this for quite some time, is to put all the audio, audio postcards actually up on YouTube. And you know they can be the be their own little little channel there because uh, yeah. there's a, there's a there's a lot of great work. There. There's some gems. Yeah. So I don't know what we're going to do, if Sergio. Whether you want to pick up the mantle for ne for next month and do another audio postcard, would you be up for that? Sure, I'll think about another place here in Colombia. Brilliant, brilliant. brilliant. We don't know All very right. much about Colombia, so everything's new to me. <laughs> There you go. There you go, folks. I, I think it's only time for me to say, Claire, do we have a map fact of the month? We do. And basically, it was just my ability to, it's just an opportunity for me to pay homage to the amazing bit of the Olympic opening ceremony where they had the, the revolving globe in the sky because, you know, I really enjoyed watching the opening ceremony. I got quite 
sort of you know choked up and teary at various points you know and they and the kind of messages around the unity of people around the world and the things that we've been through with the pandemic it was all really you know quite powerful stuff so it's not like the most exciting fact but my fact is that there were 1824 drones that it took to make the giant revolving globe. But really, it's just an opportunity to say, wasn't that amazing thing with the revolving globe with the drones? Wasn't it great? Wasn't it beautiful? So, yeah, it's just an opportunity for me to be a bit fangirly about that, really. So, yeah, I, I and I think there's a lot to love in the Olympics from a map corner perspective. I was particularly delighted to see a map right there in the opening ceremony. I love it when you get passionate, Claire. Oh, I loved it. Makes me feel all peculiar when you, you get all passionate. <laughs> Ralph, thank you for coming on to Map Corner. You've been a, a stellar guest. Where are you off to next? Let's see. So I've got uh, trips coming up to Spain, Italy, France, and Armenia, Georgia, all in a row, back to back to back, just coming up in September, October. Of, we're in 2021 right now. <laughs> so. Wow. Wow. And Ralph, do you want to remind us where people can find your videos and your books about photography? Sure. So I've got my YouTube channel is Continental Drifter. So if you search for Continental Drifter on YouTube, youtube.com slash Continental Drifter is the URL. You can find my more photography type tours at photoenrichment.com. My more cultural tours are at alacampagna.com. Hopefully you'll be able to put some of those links in the show notes. And everyone can certainly look for me on all the social media outlets at Ralph Velasco and at Photo Enrichment. And I'd love to connect. Please yeah. join my mailing lists and you can get some free downloads. And I've got some new books on Amazon, my 52 categories of a shot list that I just came out with. I created an app called My Shot List for Travel. And I put it into a book. So people that don't have Apple devices, which it only works on Apple devices, can now buy the book. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, there you go, folks. Another rip-roaring barnstorming episode of, of Map Corner with, with Mr. Ralph and with Claire getting herself all passionate and in a tizzy. <laughs> uh, about about the Olympics, and that's the reason why you need to be on Zoom because you actually saw her get so passionate and uh, in in a, in a tizzy. So thank you for joining us, Sarah, Sergio, Nick, Fiona, Jennifer. Who's rather quiet? And Ken, have you had a peep out of you today, Ken? Either you have to unmute yourself there, Ken. You can't. Oh unmute. yes, here I am peeping. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's good. Good to see you, sir. Good to see, you, sir. So there you go, folks. That that's us. Uh, Claire, should we just fold up our maps? Yeah. Let me remind you first that we're recording on the twenty-first of August with historian Matt Douglas, and then we return to the first Saturday of the month on the fourth of September when we're joined by Pallid Bow, who is on a mission to visit every nation in the world. So you know, tune in for those. Join the Facebook group. Leave us a nice review. And now it's time to fold up our maps. Just before we go, aren't there going to be fisticuffs about this every nation on the globe thing? Well, I think you'll, I'll let you warm yourself up for it because yeah, we already no, had an I'm argument go, about I'm that go, at the very beginning of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, folks. Tatty, bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.